Good morning, The Journey. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, good. I appreciate you making me feel right at home. I'm originally from Buffalo, New York, so it feels, I don't know, the air conditioning is on. I'm a little, bit, a little cold this morning, all right? It's not just me, all right? You know, I appreciate making me feel like I'm at home. Well, like Chad said, we are continuing our study called H2O, where we're going through these Jesus stories and seeing how water is essential to life, and, well, Jesus is essential to our spiritual vitality. And the story that we're going to be focusing on today is found in the book of John, chapter 4. And so we're going to dig right in. So if you have your Bible or maybe a Bible on your phone, get that ready, open up to John, chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 20 and kind of do my best color commentary throughout, just make a few uh, comments throughout. And so we're going to be in John chapter 4. Let me waste no time. Here we go. John chapter 4 verse 1 says this. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees, these religious leaders, didn't really like Jesus. They had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, meaning John the Baptist. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. Right, let's press pause there. I get to verse 4 in this account. I'm like, John, what are you talking about? I start debating with John. Like, what are you talking about? Jesus had to go through Samaria. Like, okay, Samaria is in the middle. It divides Judea in the south from Galilee in the north. But most Jews would not travel through Samaria. They actually didn't want to have anything to do with Samaritans. So they, if they were leaving Judea in the south, they would take a right. They would go east of the Jordan River, go north. And then once they were past Samaria, they would come back into Galilee. But for some reason, John is saying that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, why was it? it you know, it wasn't that the DOT had, had shut down all the highways east of the river. No, they weren't doing road construction. But he had to go through Samaria because he had an appointment to make. And we see this appointment in the verses that follow. Verse 5 says this. So we came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Meaning, Jesus, we know you're tired. We know you're probably hot and exhausted, but good luck getting some water because it's the middle of the day. And, it, and this well is a, a BYOB well. It's, you know, bring your own bucket, right? And Jesus doesn't have a bucket. And nobody's coming out in the middle of the day when it's hot. And everyone else has got, gotten their water in the morning. But surprise, surprise, look who shows up in verse 7. When a, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. I think verse 8 might be John saying, like, if we were there, we wouldn't let this happen. Right? You know, verse 9 says, The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, now why is that? Well, it's, you know, there's this long history of animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. It goes back about 900 years to when the northern tribes of Israel separated themselves from the southern tribes. And they, the northern tribes quickly began to worship other gods. They even had their own temple um, that just at the beginning was an altar in the town of Dan. They started worshiping all these other gods, and eventually they were conquered in judgment from God by the Assyrians who came in, and they took some Israelites captive, took them back to Assyria, and then they replanted Assyrians to live there in Israel. And these Assyrians began to intermarry 
with the Israelites, and they became these half-breeds, half-Jewish, half-Gentile, both ethnically and religiously. They, they started their own religion, the Samaritan religion. They eventually built their own temple on Mount Gerizim where they would go worship and encounter God on their own terms. And so the Jews looked at these Samaritans, and basically they were like, you guys are like a cult. Like, you guys look like us. You guys try to sound like us, but you just give us a bad name. And so there was this hatred between the Jews and Samaritans. So they didn't talk. They didn't associate. But here is Jesus. He's breaking all the rules. You know, not only is he talking to a Samaritan, he's talking to a a woman. And, you know, women in the first century were second-class citizens, and you didn't talk to a woman unless, unless they were your spouse. But, you know, this woman's like, what's wrong with this guy? Like, what does he not see? What is he missing? Like, where has he been for the past 900 years? But Jesus, he's undeterred by your questions. Like, why are you talking to me? He just... He just keeps going. He says in verse 10, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And it's like, I'm, I'm thinking this woman's like, yep, all my suspicions are correct. This guy is crazy. This guy is nuts. Like, living water? What are you talking about? So she says this in verse 11. Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well, and the well is deep. So where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Like in her mind, you know, what is living water? Living water is like a fresh spring, a natural spring or, or, or a brook or a river. She's like, dude, we've been living here for over a thousand years. Like, if there was something like that here, we would have found it by now. Like, this well is the best well we have, all right? So I don't know what you're talking about, this living water. Jesus keeps on going. He says, well, everyone who drinks this water, everyone who comes to this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So I don't know exactly what this woman's thinking. I imagine it's probably like, okay, this is okay, this is strange. Like I don't know exactly what you're talking about. Are we still talking about water? You know, is this a metaphor? What are we, what are we talking about? But I imagine she's probably like, well, I mean, I got nothing to lose. Like I mean, this sounds like maybe too good to be true. But man, let me see. So in fifteen, she says, "Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water." And Jesus says, yeah, you want this, right? Well, what next step do you have to take to get this water? Jesus says, this is your next step. Go, call your husband, and come back. He's like, about that, about that. Um, Verse 17. (laughs) I I have no husband, huh? And Jesus says to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Like, awkward, right? <laughs> like, oh boy. And like, she's like, wait a minute, who are you? Like, like who, who sent you? Like, like, how do you know all of this stuff about me? You know, all, the, all my past? Like, I don't want to talk about my, my, my past. I don't want to talk about the junk of my life. I don't want to do that right now. And so she's like, I got I to gotta, you know, change the subject, change the subject. What can we, what can we talk about? Like, like cars? No. Um, sports? No. Uh, politics? Definitely not. Re- religion? All right, religion. Here we go. Just, let's talk about religion. So she says in 19, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors, they worshiped on this mountain. You probably 
pointing to Mount Gerizim, but, but you Jews, you, you think that the place where we're to worship is in Jerusalem. So she's like, hey, let's talk about religion. She's trying to change the subject. And Jesus is like, hey, I know you're, you're trying to change the subject. You, you, you don't want to deal with the things in your past, but he knows that unless she identifies the wells that she's been going to in her life to satisfy her soul, she will never come and drink from the well that Jesus wants to offer her. And that's what we want to talk about today, is, is what wells are we oftentimes tempted to go to in order to satisfy our soul that's keeping us from drinking the living water that God has for us? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we're, we're just grateful to be with your church. We thank you for your word. And we pray that as we search your scripture that you would speak to us and that you would help us to, to acquire more of a taste and more of a hunger and a thirst for you and that you would fill us up. It's in your holy, holy name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. In 2004... Matt Emmons represented the United States in the 50-meter rifle competition in the Athens Olympics. In the going into the final round, he had a commanding lead. All he needed in his last shot was a good shot. In all the other rounds, he, his, la, his worst shot gave him a score of 9.3. And all he needed in his last shot was a 7.2. So gold was well within sight. And so when he was getting ready to take his last shot, he... he calmed himself down, and he, he took a deep breath, and he aimed his gun, and, and then he fired. And then he looked above the target to see what score would appear, but a score didn't register. I'm so confused, he motioned to the judges and was like, well, what just happened? And the judges, they huddled, and then they, they discussed what had happened, and then they announced that Matt had, had committed a very rare mistake in elite competition. He had cross-fired. He fired at the target in lane three while lined up in lane two. Yeah, and, and, and the score awarded for a good shot, fired at the wrong target, uh, awarded Matt a score of zero, and it dropped him completely out of medal contention. Yeah, and, and Matt learned a very valuable lesson that day, and that is this, that it doesn't matter how accurate you are if you're not aimed at the right target. And, and this woman, for all of her life, has been, has been aiming at the wrong target. She's thinking, hey, the thing that's going to satisfy me, the thing that's going to make me feel full is a relationship with another guy. And, and so she, she gets married, and we don't know exactly what happens. You know, is, is she unfaithful? What, what is the exact reason for, you know, men kind of leaving her? But we know that she's heartbroken, and she thinks, what is the solution? Just get into another relationship. Just man after man after man until finally after five marriages, she says, I've had enough. I can't, I can't be so vulnerable anymore, but I still need that relationship, that other man, that love, in order to satisfy my soul. But it never satisfies her, and so she's still spiritually thirsty, and Jesus sees that. And see, see John 4 is, is, is calling us, is inviting us to examine the wells that we are running to in order to satisfy our souls. Because if it's anything in this world, it's going to leave us feeling empty. Some of you might remember the career of primetime Deion Sanders. Anybody remember primetime Deion Sanders? Anybody remember watching him play? He, he played for the Redskins for a brief bit. You know, yep. Played for another team that we shall not name down in the south, represented by a big star. Okay. Um, 
he, but he was an incredible athlete. No one can doubt that. He was an incredible athlete. He was the only professional athlete to have played both in the World Series and in the Super Bowl. O- only athlete to do that. And um, when he won his first Super Bowl with the team we shall not name, okay, everybody, you know, everyone kind of thinks like, man, he must have been happy. He must have been thrilled. But that night he went to his hotel room and just cried because he just felt so empty. He thought this was supposed to be everything to him, and yet it didn't satisfy him. And in his autobiography, Money, Sex, and Power, he says this. He says, everything I touched turned to gold. But inside I was broken and totally defeated. I remember sitting at the back of the practice field one afternoon away from everybody and tears were running down my face. I said to myself, this is so meaningless. I'm so unhappy. We're winning every week and I'm playing great, but I'm not happy. I tried everything, parties, women, women buying expensive jewelry and gadgets, and nothing helped. I had everything the world had to offer, but no peace, no joy, just emptiness inside. And so shortly after that Super Bowl, he said, life's not worth living anymore. And he drove his car off of a 30-foot cliff trying to take his own life. But miraculously, he left the scene of that accident without a scratch on his body. And he threw up his hands to God and said, I can't do it anymore. Everything I've run to, all the wells I have, I've, I've had water from have left me feeling empty. And so he ran to God's word, and all of a sudden he saw that God wanted to have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ, and he was baptized. And all of a sudden, God began to change his life and began to think, put things in perspective. And, and all of a sudden, his relationship with God and his relationship with his children became first and foremost in his life. And see, all around us, all around us are wells that, that are tempting us. Hey, come drink from me. Come drink from me because if you do, you will be satisfied and it's all, it's all smoke and mirrors. It's all a lie. It'll leave us feeling empty. So let me just talk about some common wells that we're oftentimes tempted to drink from. The first well that we're oftentimes tempted to drink from is what I'll call the me well. Okay, it's the me well. It's the, the well that, we, that says we can be our own soul satisfaction. We can kind of provide that meaning, that purpose. We can be the ones that, you know, provides the answers. We can be the solution to our own problems, right? It's very popular, especially around the, the new year, right? 2019 rolls around, and we're kind of like, new year, new me, baby. New year, new me, right? <laughs> and we look, like, at our lives, and we're like, there's something we're not satisfied with in our lives, like our jobs. So we're like, this year, getting a new job, right? You know, I mean, I, if, if, my, if I just had more money coming on my, out of my pocket, like, things would be better. Or we're like not satisfied in the way that we look, right? And so we, we get our teeth done, right? We get our teeth fixed, you know. It's like a Mentos commercial. So we're just like, cha-ching, right? Like, uh, everybody, look at our teeth. Or maybe you were bald, and now you're not, right? And, you know, you slap that weave on, and all of a sudden everybody's like, Randy, nice hair, dude, nice hair. Or we go to start going to the gym, start losing the weight, right? And, and it's all the shape, how other people think about us. And I think it's indicative that this is a well that our culture goes back to time and time again. Because when you go to Barnes and Nobles, what's, what's on the bestsellers look? You know, bestsellers list. It's, it's not like Ernest Hemingway, you know, Old Man in the Sea. It's not Charles Dickens. It's not Tolstoy. It's Seven Minute Apps or like the best you now, right? Because that is the well that we continue to run to thinking that we can be the solution to our own problems. And, and, and we think, okay, if we just drink more of this, then we will be satisfied. But, you know, even though in the moment it feels good when everyone's kind of 
saying, man, you look good. Man, what, what's, what's changed? And it feels good for a moment, but the shine always fades, and it never lasts. And that well runs dry. And, and when the me well runs dry, we oftentimes then run to the you well, right? This is when we think somebody else is going to be our soul satisfaction, right? This is definitely the well that the woman was drinking from, right? And I, oh, I'm a single guy, so I know oftentimes the single people, you know, the song that's oftentimes on repeat in our minds is like you too. And it's like, you know, and I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Right? And that song is just going on repeat. So we're like, man, I just, need, I just need that woman. I just need that guy in my life. Right? And so you, you get online, you set up your profiles, you're like, Christian, Mango, Match.com, whatever it is, right? And you start chatting. And I, you know, I get to see it oftentimes because I work with young adults at my church. And it's like, Sean, you won't believe it. I found my soulmate. I found my soulmate. It, it's incredible. It's incredible. I mean, we're chatting online all the time. Like, it's so crazy. Like, we both love the Capitals, we both love sushi. We both love wearing yoga pants. Like, that's weird, but uh, mm-hmm. And like, she's my soulmate. She's my soulmate, right? And it's like, okay. Um, and everyone else sees it. Everyone else sees it, you know, but they don't see the red flags, right? Because they got rose-colored glasses on. They got rose-colored glasses on. The endorphins are flowing and everything's great. And then all of a sudden, you know, they get married. And things begin to change because now it's death do you part. And all of a sudden you're like, what? Like, huh? Like, what changed? Like, is it me? Is it them? And, and it, the problem's not you. The problem's not them. It's your expectations. It's because you think this person's going to satisfy your soul. It's because you're looking at them to give you validation and meaning and purpose. And you're putting all your chips in with this other person. And you're, 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 you're expecting them to deliver to you something that they can't deliver to you. You know, husbands and wives, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but it doesn't matter how many times you watch Jerry Maguire but your spouse can never complete you, okay? Your spouse will never complete you. Two broken people cannot make a whole person, okay? It just adds to the mess. It just adds to the mess. And, and so you might have a wonderful spouse. You know, you, you might have a, a spouse that's an incredible support system. They might be an incredible father or mother to, to your children, but they always be a terrible, horrible God. They cannot be your soul satisfaction. Only Jesus can be that. Only Jesus can complete you. And, and, and sometimes, we, you know, we do it with our spouses, but other times we, we do it with our kids too, right? And, and we live through them because maybe we weren't the best athlete in high school or we didn't make the best grades. And so we're going we're gonna to push them so they can get the, into the best schools and the best colleges, get the best career, to get the best grades, to be the best athlete. And it's not for them, it's for us. It's so that we can feel better about ourselves. And that is the, the well that we're drinking from, the, the you well. But it always runs dry. And what? Because when we put our pressure, we put all the pressure on our spouse to satisfy us or our kids, and it ruins our relationships. It leads to destruction, as this woman found out. And so when the, the me well runs dry and the, the you well runs dry, we run to the, the world's well. And the world's well is, is when we run to all the things in this world, oftentimes good things that God gives us to enjoy, but we take them out of their proper context and it, it ruins them. And so, like, you know, sometimes we're, we're really hungry on the inside and so we run to food to fill us up, to kind of mask that, that hunger that we feel. And so I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, like, after, like, a, a really hard, stressful day of work, 
that when you run home, you open up the freezer, and you take out that carton of ice cream, and to you, it doesn't say a half a cup is the serving. It's the carton, right? Yeah, and you're scraping the bottom of that carton. And in that moment, in that moment, I'm not saying that you won't be feeling some amount of comfort. I'm saying that comfort won't last, right? It won't last. And if you're thinking, okay, after a long, hard work week, you need to come home and, and, and put your feet up and just give yourself some wine therapy, right? You need some wine therapy. What, what I'm saying is, is the buzz won't last. Then you try to drown your problems in alcohol, Eventually, you'll, you'll find that your problems can swim. <laughs> and, and they can multiply, and they can multiply. They will. And we, we, we do the same thing with sex, right? If we worship at the altar of sex, thinking if we just had more sex, that would solve our problems. That would be the thing that satisfies our souls. We will end up not being able to have that satisfaction from our marriage. We'll end up trying to have to find it somewhere else. Oftentimes in a virtual form of sex where we take advantage of someone else's sons or daughters just to satisfy our lust. And does it ever, is, there, is it ever fulfilling? Does it ever satisfy our soul's longing? No. It leaves us 10 times hungrier, hungrier than we were before. And see, oftentimes, whether it's the me well, whether it's the you well, or the world's well, we, we take oftentimes these good things and we poison them. They become toxic. Why? Because they were never meant to satisfy our souls. And so, what's the solution? What, what well will satisfy our souls? Well, Jesus gets to it when this woman, she tries to change the subject to religion. And Jesus is like, yeah, let, let's go there. Here we go. Verse 21, Jesus says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. I think he sees her hunger and knows she's, she's going to get it. You, you Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And, and so Jesus is seeing, okay, hey, not only did this woman not understand that she was running to all the wrong wells in her life, she just theologically needed some correcting. No, hey, woman, okay, I understand. Okay, you go to Mount Gerizim to your temple to think that's how you have a relationship with God. You know, you got to make the, the sacrifices. You got to go and you got to put money in the offering plate and you got to say your prayers. But the rules of worshiping are, are changing. And, and so she says this in verse 25, I know that the Messiah called the Christ, he's coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. He'll explain how we have a relationship with God. And so Jesus says this, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. He says, I, I, am, the, I am the Messiah. I am the one that's changed the rules because everything you've done in the past to have a relationship with God, wh whether it was keeping the Sabbath, whether it was going to the temple to make sacrifices, all of those were pointing to me and how I was going to come and be your soul satisfaction. I was going to be the one that opened the way up to God. And so Jesus is saying, hey, the, the well that we need to draw water from, if we want to have this well that's springing up to eternal life, is the, the well of worship. It, it, it's the well of worship. And I don't know if you know this, but everybody thirsts for this well. Everybody does. You know, all your coworkers, all your neighbors, all your friends and families, they all, they all, they all desire this. They have this need, whether they know it or not. David Foster Wallace 
was a kind of like a modern day transcendentalist author. And, and he would kind of write all these really existential short stories and essays. And, you know, it was one of those things where like book clubs and English classes where we get together and kind of be like, what is this guy talking about? And be like, I don't know, but I think he says this. And they like couldn't ever really understand what he was talking about, but everyone thought he was like this literary genius. He's a pretty smart guy. And he was, he was kind of put in hot water several years ago because he was asked to speak at the commencement address at a liberal arts school called Kenyon College in Ohio. And in his speech, he was very clear about how everybody desires to drink from this well. He said this, Here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. It says there's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason maybe for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. And it's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age starts showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. And so what is Wallace observing? Just by looking at everyone in our society, in our culture, he's saying that everybody worships something. It's true. Everybody worships something. Why? Because it's our default setting. It's just the way God created us because he wants us to long for him, to desire him, to come to him through Jesus. And you might be thinking, but I mean, maybe, but I mean, I think if I just had a little bit more stuff, if I just had a little more money, a little more success, a little, if I could just retire, you know, that would be the solution to my problems. Then life would be better. It's just not what people in our world really observe. I mean, Brad Pitt, a man who has made millions of dollars, married some of the most beautiful women in the world, has houses all over the place several years ago. In an interview that he did with Rolling Stones magazines, confessed an inner sadness that he's experienced his whole life, and he expresses the discontentment that he has with the wells that he's been drinking from. He says this. He says, I know all these things are supposed to seem important to us, the car, the condo, our version of success, but if that's the case, then why is the general feeling out there reflecting more isolation and desperation and loneliness. He says, if you ask me, I say toss this. We have to find something else. I don't have all the answers yet. The emphasis now is on success and personal gain. I'm sitting in it, and I'm telling you, that's not it. You know, I, I think it's why Jim Carrey, the actor, he, he once said this. He says, I think everyone, everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. Yeah. And why is fame and fortune and, and marriage not the answer? It's because all of those things are temporary and our souls are eternal. It's just God's created us to live for him. And so why would anything temporary satisfy the deepest longings of our heart? No, Jesus says you want to be filled, then you need to draw from the well of worship. And, and how do we do that? Well, he actually gives us the first step. To do that, one chapter before, if you just flip over your Bibles, one chapter to the left, John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to this guy named Nicodemus. He's, just, he's, just, he's a very powerful religious guy in Jesus' day and age, and Nicodemus comes to him and wants to have a conversation, and Jesus kind of just cuts right to the chase. It's like, I know what you need, Nicodemus. Here we go. Verse 3, Jesus says this, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. It didn't make any sense to Nicodemus. Why? Because he had everything figured out. 
He was the one at the top of the ladder. He was the one with the advanced degrees, the teacher of Israel, the good moral person. If there was anybody who didn't need to start again, it was Nicodemus. He had everything made. But Jesus says, no, it doesn't matter who you are. You need to be born again. So in verse 5, he says this. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And so he says, the next step for you is to be baptized, to be born again, to allow God to give you a fresh start, a a, a redo, so that you can then be filled with the Holy Spirit. As Acts 2.38 makes it very clear, if we repent of our sins and we're baptized, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that means we can draw from the well of worship 24-7. It's a well that never runs dry because as Jesus told the woman at the well, you will no longer have to go to Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim. Why? Because you will be the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul makes that clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and so we can draw from this well every day. And that's what God has created us for. It's our default setting. And if we don't worship God every day, we will end up running to other wells in order to satisfy our soul. But we can worship God anywhere, so we should worship God everywhere. I mean, I remember as a kid sitting in a pew, just like you are, and us singing songs and us having a song leader come up and be like, isn't this going to be great? We're going to worship God for eternity. And I remember thinking, please no. Please no. <laughs> like, this is not fun. Like, I'm, like, this is so boring. But then I started reading the Bible, and I was like, okay, actually... When you read scripture, it's like, man, we're not just going to sing all day long. Like the book of Isaiah talks about heaven being a place where we're going to plant gardens and we're going to build houses and everything we do will be in response to what God has done for us as an act of worship. And Jesus is inviting us to do that right now. He's inviting us to make every part of our life an act of worship. And so we don't have to wait till we come here on Sunday morning to worship God. We can worship 24-7 so how do we do that? What are some ideas? When I think about worship, my practical definition of worship is this. Uh, Worship is anything that puts a smile on God's face. But worship is anything that puts a smile on God's face. And so for me, sometimes it's singing some songs. Sometimes it's getting my Pandora out and putting it on the Jesus culture, the Hillsong, the Bethel music, radio station, and singing. And I make sure I put, okay, my car windows up when I'm in the car, right? (laughs) Because you heard me. It's not good. It is, a, it is a joyful noise because that's what Scripture says. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, not one that's in tune, all right? Okay? It's just being honest. Just being honest. Joyful, okay? Oh, you know, but you don't have to. You could, you could sing, but you don't have to wait till Sunday morning in order to serve other people, right? You, you can serve other people. You can pray. You can spend time in God's Word. And sometimes I'll admit, like, I sometimes don't have the motivation or the energy to read God's Word, so I get my Bible app out and just listen to it. And it is medicine for my soul. And, and one of the best ways to worship God is to share what, what he's done in your life with other people. You know, that's what this woman did in response to what Jesus had done. She goes into the town and tells everybody, hey, come find the man. Come see the man who told me everything I've ever done. Which I'm sure some people were like, that must have been awkward. <laughs> like, I don't know if I want to meet this guy. But all these people started following Jesus because she became the first evangelist, because she was the first one to go spread the good news of Jesus. And Jesus says that is food for your soul. When you share Jesus with other people, what he's done for you, that will fill you up spiritually and help you thrive. But you can't share what you don't have. And and so if you have never stepped over that line of faith, 
You have never made a decision to make Jesus number one. That He is your number one pursuit in life. You've never given your life to him in the waters of baptism. You can do that. You can make that decision. If you're interested in making that decision, I would encourage you to fill out the connection card, put in all your information, your contact information, and check the box saying you want to be baptized. And even if you're not ready for that yet, still, still check the box, and if you have questions, someone will contact you and, and help answer some of the questions that you still have about baptism. Now, I can remember my baptism like it was yesterday. It was actually three days ago, 20 years ago. It was March 28th, 1999. I was baptized in the building of the Clarence Church of Christ. I was dunked by my father, and I remember all these people were there that night that just to come to support me. And I don't remember what anybody said other than a, a man named Larry Acey. He was just a church member that kind of knew me, wanted to be there to support me. And after I came up out of the water and came down from the baptistry, he gave me this huge bear hug and said, Sean, this is the best decision, most important decision you will ever make in your life. And I remember thinking, really? Like, I got a lot of decisions still to make in my life, like where to go to college, you know, what career to take, you know, you know who to marry, and this is, this is the most important one. Like, I already made it. And I can honestly say that Larry Acey was right, that it was definitely the best decision, most important decision I've ever made in my life, and I pray that that will be true for you as well. And it won't be because, man, you get your act together and all of a sudden you start doing the right things, but it's because of the grace of God. Because God wrapped himself in flesh and he came down. He came down into our mess and said, stop pursuing these wells. Stop drinking there. Drink from mine. Drink deeply and daily because it's what you've been created to do. And that's what we're going to celebrate and remember right now when we take communion. And the price that Jesus paid by, by dying on a cross by giving up his body and his blood so that we could have a restored relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so we're going to sing a song. The band's going to play. And when you're ready, you can come forward or you can go into the back and, and get the emblems. Taking this cracker and taking this cup representing Jesus' body and blood. And we will take it together as one. But if you're here for the first time or maybe just kind of still checking out who Jesus is, don't feel obligated to take this meal. It's not an obligation, it's just an opportunity. And so maybe if you still have questions, just maybe take the next few moments to, to reflect on what you have to be grateful for this week. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you t take this time to worship him and reflect upon his great love for you. So let's come. Let's take and let's eat.